0: Find the link in the description notes to learn how you can invest.
1: You can go do what we do, but it's not passive. You know, it's a full-time job. So we're here for the middle. You can sit there and do nothing, or you can, do, you can gamble on the stock market and don't know God knows what's going to happen. Or you can put yourself into a hard, tangible asset that, you can, that an average person is more likely to be able to figure out what's going to happen, you know, or at least make an educated guess as if this is a good deal for all the reasons that you can find.
2: Welcome to Ritter on Real Estate, the show about how to passively invest like a pro. On each episode, I interview real estate experts who give their top investing advice, strategies, and tools, and I break down their insights into practical steps to avoid the pitfalls and make better investments. I want to help you passively invest like a pro. This is Ritter on Real Estate, and I'm your host, Kent Ritter. Hello fellow investors. Welcome to another episode of Ritter on Real Estate, where we teach you how to passively invest like a pro. Today, my guest is Mitch Steven, and Mitch has been a real estate investor for 27 years. And in that time, he's raised 26 million in private money and he buys four to five houses a week. So he's built up a a robust strategy to support that endeavor and he's got and he's he's built up a fairly sophisticated model where he's got a a few different layers of real estate investing and so excited to dig into all this and understand what mitch is doing today mitch thank you so much for being on the show
1: hey man thank you so much for having me kent It's, it's a pleasure to be here yeah
2: absolutely so before we dig in to uh to everything that you have going on. Tell the folks a little bit about who you are and, and how you got to be where you are today.
1: Well, you know, I had a, a high school education. I went to a couple of semesters of college. It wasn't for me. Uh, got cut from the football team in about 30 seconds and uh, didn't know where to go after that. It's been about 14 years, 15 years wandering around trying to figure out where I belonged in the planet. And at about age 34, I, stumbled into house flipping back in 1996 you know and uh i did 45 houses my first year i did 65 houses my second year i did 150 houses exactly my third year and i have bought a house about four to five i've bought a, about four to five houses every week for over two decades like it has never stopped I started talking about and learning about real estate one day and I never, the conversation never ended. I've had conversations. Every waking moment about real estate. I don't know why I'm passionate about it. No one in my family was ever passionate. No one in my family was even an entrepreneur. Uh, I don't know where it came from, but I found where I belong. And along the way I would find other opportunities, which is almost the curse of an entrepreneur, right? Because we see opportunity in everything and you can't do everything. Uh, I learned all that the hard way. I learned everything the hard way. Uh, I wrote a book about it called My Life in a Thousand Houses, Failing Forward to Financial Freedom. It really should be now my life in 2,500 houses, but you know, I wrote the book a little while ago and I haven't changed the title, so. Um, I'm just an average guy with a lot of common sense, who um, seeks pleasure and tries to avoid pain, and every time something happens to me good, I try to figure out how to make it more off, make it happen to me more often, and every time something happens to me bad, I try to figure out how to make that never happen again, and I got good at it.
2: Now, I appreciate that. I mean, I uh, similarly just share a passion with real estate, don't know exactly where it came from, but, uh, it, it just makes a lot of sense to me and something I've fallen in love with over the past six or so years and, and now do full-time on my own. So I, I totally get, get the path. And, uh, you know, similarly, I didn't, I didn't grow up in, in an entrepreneurial family. Uh, I grew up in kind of very blue collar family and, um, yeah, just got bit with the bug though. And, and I understand from an entrepreneur standpoint, it's like once you get out there and once you start, um, looking at everything you know there, there are just so many opportunities opportunities abound right and you start you start to have to really was, be selective
1: the thing was i stumbled into some money by accident mm-hmm. and i did a nothing down deal uh and then that's when it dawned on me you know that's what the hell robert allen's talking about you know you could read all you want to but until you get a concept in your heart you don't really own it right and so I, I I'll read these concepts and then I'll accidentally or find myself in a position to actually do one. And that's when you learn it. Like, okay, I understand. I bought my first 100 houses on credit cards. All of them, 100%. 0% interest. No, 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 no origination or anything. Maybe a little bit because they charge it $50 for the credit card check. Um, in my town, San Antonio, Texas in 1996, there were houses, I'm sorry, I was headed to the ranch, so let me get this off. Uh, there were houses all up and down the lesser parts of town, um, south side, west side, east side, beyond the middle of the city, line middle through the city, $8,000, $10,000, $12,000, $15,000, $20,000, twenty-five dollars or $30,000 was a big deal for me. So I went, I figured out early that I could get credit cards uh, because I had good credit, and back in a different era, if you remember, or you may not remember because you might be too young to remember, but, but if you had good credit and you applied for a credit card, they gave you the card and they gave you all the cash advance limits and everything. And you could just keep applying. I, I had 50 credit cards that all had 10 to $15,000 cash advances, if not 20 or 30,000 cash advance limits. And so I would just put 10000 on this card and 10000 on this card and buy the house. And then 10,000 on this card to rehab it, it was 0% introductory offer money. And I didn't have any payments to make for six months or a year or 18 months, depending on the card. And I would fix all these houses up and I would sell or finance them and I would sell the notes all within, you know, 60 days. And I did it a hundred times in a row until I didn't need to do that anymore.
2: Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. That, that's a heck of a way to get started. You're going to kick but- it off with a bang. <laughs>
1: But what allured me was first, I accidentally made some money. The money was the lure. But as I got into the game, I, I love the game so much because this game of creative real estate investing has is such a wide, big game with so many opportunities and so many angles and so many choices that, you know, good and bad. But there's so many good choices that I just got intrigued with the game. Like, wow, mm-hmm. what a game. You think Parchisi is good? You ought to try this, man. This is a game, and when you win, you can win big.
2: Yeah, it's addicting, right? It's definitely addicting. And so, so let's take a step back. So that's kind of how you got started, but you know, you've you've developed quite a bit since then, right? You've gone in many different directions. You're doing a lot of different things. But as we were talking about previously, at, at the heart of it, it seems to me you've kind of got this kind of two-phase strategy right where you've got this this very active business or businesses that that are going on and then that's funding more of of what you call kind of your forever money strategy which we can talk about too and talk about how you're funding your long-term investments through kind of this active business you've created so can you outline for us kind of the two and maybe there's more than two but the different components and then kind of how they fit together and your thought process as you were Kind of putting this this plan into place
1: yeah well there's at least eight businesses and sometimes i can't recite them all to you um i'm not a detail guy I, I, I i'm a i'm a i'm a throw all this crap on the wall see what sticks as as the dust is settling you'll see me exiting and i'll be handing it over to the infrastructure. okay now now, now go lease all this up or go sell all these or whatever i don't hang around long and i don't i i understand um details as we're making the decisions but as soon as they're made and they're put in place I, I, I don't remember i i gotta clear my slate for the next thing i don't have enough ram you know i need some more ram so like you put information in this here and some of something falls out this year, you know so um so i'm going through town i'm buying all these houses and i'm seller financing them it's like a sawmill if you if if you own a sawmill and your job is to make big long trees into boards you know into lumber at the sawmill, then you're gonna be left with a stack of sawdust. Now you can pay truckers and people to shovel it in a truck and go throw it away, or you can figure out how to make a product and sell that sawdust. You already got the sawdust for free. What can you make out of sawdust? Can you add some glue and make a a, four by eight board, a press board, Or, or can you poison it and put it in bags and call it ant poisoning that you sprinkle around ant piles? What can you do with this sawdust because you have an abundance of it? It's the same way with the businesses that I originated. I was having to collect notes, hundreds of notes a month. I needed a $25,000 software. I needed to spend $5,000 to train the people to work with software. I'm $30,000 in. However, the 500 notes that I have now are no challenge because this thing is so automated, it's easy. I can pick up 5,000 notes now, and this thing will run it with not a ton of maintenance. So how do I get the note company, to pay me back and then pay me more. I start servicing other people's notes beside mine. So now I have a, a, a note servicing company in Texas called Moat Note Services, like a moat around a castle. We do all your reporting. You know, it's a business. When that business gets to about 4,000 notes, it's sellable for 10 million. You know, you think that'll get my 30,000 back? You know, um, you know, it makes about Fifteen to $18,000 a month right now profit. How long does it take to get my $30,000 back? I got people running, working that I owe salaries to. Now that company funds my, those and people that run them. And my notes kind of get taken care of for free. I don't have to pay any servicing, all right? Uh, that's, how I, that's how all of these businesses are. They were, they were like, I made a business out of the exhaust that was coming out of my tailpipe. Because it was a lot of it, and so that's the the problem is with the entrepreneur. And I I haven't said many things that people have quoted, but someone latched onto this that I said, and it's kind of been one of one of two quotes that I have. Um, You know, the hardest thing an entrepreneur will ever do is have one great idea and finish big. You know, that's the hardest thing for an entrepreneur to do because they too many ideas and everything's kind of half-assed, and they, none of them really make it to the pinnacle. None of the ideas really make it to the pinnacle. So how to avoid that? How do, you, how, do you, how do you finish big, Mitch, with eight deals? I have partners in every one of those, and their sole function is to run that company. I provide the sawdust. You, sir, know how to make boards. You're in charge of the board manufacturing. Don't ever call me about it again. I'm shipping sawdust to you every morning. That's what my job. And I want 50 percent of this business. And that's how it works for me, because there is someone in that chair that's only looking and watching over the board making business.
2: Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Gotcha. So you develop this portfolio of companies, those those companies you've partnered with folks to run the day to day that's feeding, you know, feeding this money back to you. And then you have the next evolution of the strategy, which is what are you what are you doing with it long term? Right. And and how are you building wealth off that money that you're generating?
1: Yeah. So so I read a book by Jack Bosch and I always like to give him credit. He's a good guy. He's a friend of mine. I met him at a mastermind many years ago. Uh, And he wrote a book called Forever Cash. You know, this guy comes from Germany, doesn't even know the language, ends up being a multimillionaire in the real estate business, you know, a challenge way bigger than i ever had to face you know i was born in this country and i knew the language you know uh i can't imagine these immigrants are to something you you need to make note of Um, so he says there's one-time cash events temporary cash events and forever cash events so the the temporary i mean the one-time cash events are like wholesales and flips right you, you you buy a property you sell it one time you get one check it's over got to get another one kind of like creating yourself a job and then then there's then there's temporary cash which is like me i buy houses for fifty thousand. i own you know I, I don't don't get locked in the numbers here uh, i'm just giving an example follow the theory i buy houses for 50 i sell or finance them for a hundred thousand with ten percent down And I carry the 90,000 at 10% for 30 years fixed, no balloon. I am a mortgage collecting machine. I am the bank. I am not a landlord. I get payments on the house, but they're principal payments and interest payments. They're not rent payments, okay? So if the air conditioner breaks, it's not my house. I sold it to the person who lives in it who's making me a mortgage payment. So I, I don't get any phone calls. When the money gets in my bank account, short of a foreclosure, there's no reason for it to ever leave because I don't have any liabilities. I'm the bank. I'm the mortgage company. But that's temporary because notes expire. You know, I get $10,000 up front, and I borrow borrow the $50,000 100% from my private lenders. I borrow whatever the rehab is. In addition, whatever the closing costs, I don't have one penny in these houses but I never let my private lenders in over 65% of what I'm going to sell or finance it for. And I average only letting my private lenders in at 58%. Okay. Just 65 is the most I'll ever let my lenders in of what I can sell or finance that house for. And so I'm getting $10,000 up front to run my household, to pay my car payment or whatever. And if I do that, Eight times a month, which I average about 100 deals a year for the last 20 years, that's 80,000 in down payments. It's enough to run your household, right? And then all the payments I'm getting, let's say today I have 300 mortgage payments. I owe 350. They owe me 850. I average clearing $500 a month per note, positive cash flow with no liabilities. So if you have 300 houses for easy math, that means I'm collecting 150,000 a month in positive cash flow with no liabilities. Plus I'm picking up a million dollars in down payments to get there. You know, to get to create those 300 notes. So so but those notes will expire. So it's temporary cash. So you have to take all the money that you make from the one-time cash events and the temporary cash events And so you can work yourself out of a job and and buy your time. We've already figured out how to get rich. The next step is how do I buy my time back? I have to get into a forever cash strategy that allows me to be free. I put all my money into self-storages. You would put all your money into apartments. Then you hire an apartment manager or a storage manager, and then you go on vacation for the rest of your life. It's not its not completely passive because you have to watch apartment managers and storage managers because if you don't watch them, they'll steal all your crap and they'll run your business in the ground. But you know what I'm saying? You can run your business an hour or so a day or watching out of the corner of your eye. Or if you don't even want to do that, you hire a CFO and you give up a few of the $2 million you're making a year. You give up a couple of hundred grand and you don't even worry about that. You know, so... So the forever cash strategy I lucked into, I was buying some storages. Turns out I already had a forever cash strategy in mind. I didn't even know that that's what I had. But when I started to see people, liability lawyers and attorneys were going, well, you need to put some stuff in some different buckets. What's your highest risk? I said, well, I got all these storages. I said, put them in this bucket. I said, well, I'm flipping these houses. Well, that's got a different kind of risk. Put it in this house. You got any rentals? Yeah. That's a, houses? Yeah. Put them in a different bike. So I started saying, I started seeing these different categories. And I thought, damn, this is my forever. This is the one I never sell. This is the one that pays me forever. I up one day. I had always just kind of thrown my, my money over to a storage. I'd buy a mom and pop out around the lake where I lived. I couldn't afford AAA class A. I didn't want to borrow money. I was scared of debt that I had to sign my name to at the time. Um, guarantee you know personally guarantee because I wasn't sure of myself early on 27 years ago I would borrow private money collateral only money you know with where they had good collateral way above whatever I was borrowing so that it would never not work out for them even if I failed because my reputation is very important to me but um, but you know I would throw I would throw my money over there and I would go flip houses. One day I looked up, and I had over a thousand units, and it was it was netting 800, It was netting eight hundred thousand. A year with debt I still owed. Now this debt had gone down to only five years left or seven years left, but I'm still making payments like the first day. You know, so I turned around and said, "This is a business I never sell until I'm just too old to police it." And then I should have enough to to, to take me to the end of my days. Um, I don't really plan on selling because my daughter's been in the middle of my business for 27 years, closing every deal in and out. And she understands how to run these things. So, uh, you know, it should just be passed on to her. But that's, you got to move to a forever cash strategy, which is some kind of business that you rent, or it's a business that you own that you don't work in, that you operate as the owner not even the cfo because the cfo has a job or the ceo they have a job you're above them the owner you know what i mean so
2: so you've got this you've got this active strategy that you're working in right and developing and then you've developed now this this mindset this forever strategy which i think is great i think a lot of people that listen to this show or you know folks that that i that will invest with me or or others passively, are kind of doing I think in that same way, their job may be different. Their job may not be real estate, but they understand that that idea of creating this something they can invest in long term that's going to continue to build their wealth and generate cash flow, right? So, kind of a, I, I think a lot of our listeners really understand the same concepts of what you're talking about. Maybe, maybe not as advanced and not as large, but this idea of taking taking your job where you're trading time for money, right? And then taking that money and putting that money into something that's passive, much more passive, right? So they continue to grow without you and you can put that money to work, right? That that but that's ultimately the idea, very simply stated, of of what you've implemented. You've got these active strategies, and then you're taking that money and not letting that money just sit on the sidelines. You're putting that money to work as well for you in self-storage, right? And that continues to grow in value and you're getting cash flow off that. And then you've just got this this ecosystem that's all working together. Right and ultimately building you, uh, like you said, a strategy where where you know you you can be much more passive in that you can like you said man, manage an hour a day or hour a week or so, um, but starts to kick off income and, and like you said when you get the end and you and you want to sell you've got all that appreciation that you've gained so
1: yeah or you can turn it over to somebody and remain as a consultant you know for a salary you know there's a lot of different ways to do it the the, the deal is. It takes a lot of good people around you, a lot of good people. If you're going to be free and not pulling your hair out and not go crazy. Here's the thing. I have gone into my private lenders before, doctors and lawyers or whatever, and showed them my strategy. You know, the the reason why I have $26 million, I didn't start out with $26 million. I started out with $50,000 from my dad, you know, and then it kind of went on from there. The reason I have $26 million is I never missed a payment to anybody. So far, knock on wood, you know what I mean? By the grace of God and a lot of self-policing, a lot of self-policing. Like I don't go over 65%. If I want to buy a property to have to pay 70% for it of what it's worth, then I got to put the other 5% out of my pocket. I mean, I never leave my investors with, with. I mean, they have a lot of room. Barring something just catastrophic, like off the charts, everything's going to be fine. I mean, you never can, you never can do anything that's going to, solve the problem if a meteor you know smashes downtown san antonio and wipes it off the face of the earth i mean what are you gonna do about it so you know um
2: but uh, your your path to strip to safety is really maintaining relatively low leverage right is what you're talking about
1: and when there are problems i can solve them i don't have to the, because there are such margins and i've left myself enough room i can solve the problems without losing money 99.9 of the time myself and i never have to even bother them i mean i'm not going to bother them you know what i mean the, net, the whole point of them loaning me is to be passive and not have to hear you know my house burns down and and it wasn't insured because you know i bought it at the auction that night or that evening and then the people that they kicked out of the house burned it down that morning before my policy got in place i mean you know, that's not my, that's not my lender's problem. That's my problem. They'll never hear about it. I take care of my problem, you know? Uh, uh, and so 26 million bucks, you know, before COVID, it was all out. I, my, my is not like flipping money. It's not like, it doesn't go in and out. I need money for 10 years, 15 years that I can wrap because my buyer owes me money for 30 years. So, a million bucks goes pretty fast when you're getting out 150,000 or 120,000 or 200,000 at a time. And then it's got to be out for 10 or 15 years. I got to keep getting more money. You know, now I, at at about 300 notes, you can't, you can't get more notes than that because I, my goal was to have 500 notes, but once I hit about 300, I'll put in like 10 notes into the pile to have 310, but eight people will pay me off that month because my homeowners have the right to pay off their loans, sell their houses and call me and and so it's really hard to get the 500 because you keep putting houses in but all you're doing is just replenishing to stay at 300. Now every time someone pays me off it's a windfall. A huge windfall. Like I pick up 30, 40, 50,000, 100,000, you know, depending on the spreads in these houses. But um but people When I talk to my investors, I'll I'll tell them exactly how I do everything. You know, this is what I do. This is my formula. And usually at that point, some people, why are you doing that? I says, well, how are they supposed to have confidence I can pay them back if they don't see how lucrative my business is for me? when they see how lucrative it is, then they understand, well, damn, he should have no problem paying me back if he's not a crook and he really has the heart to pay me back. There's no reason why he shouldn't be able to, you know, so, so. At that point, they always say, well, why don't I just do what you do and make all the money that you're making? You know, because I show them the secret sauce. I show them exactly. And then I look at them and say, well, hell, don't do what I do. Just do what Tom Brady does. I mean, that guy makes 32 million a year. Do what he does. And they go like, well, I can't. I I said, yeah, I know. I know you can't do this. (laughs) It's taken me 27 years to get here. You ain't gonna, you know, turn from being a doctor to a house flipper, you know. If we want you, I'll help you. I'll, I'll try to help you, but you, you know, they're not gonna do it. So yeah. the point is, doctors and lawyers and other people out there—they have money. They either like what they do or they've run their gamut, but they don't want another job. They can't handle another job, or they're done working. You know, it's time for them to vacation or travel or play golf. And so, you, people like you and I are, are a choice for them. You can go do what we do, but it's not passive. You know, it's a full-time job. So we're here for the middle. You can sit there and do nothing, or you can do you can gamble on the stock market and don't know God knows what's going to happen. Or you can put yourself into a hard, tangible asset that you can that an average person is more likely to be able to figure out what's going to happen. You know, or at least make an educated guess as that this is a good deal for all the reasons that you can find. You know, and. And you can have a passive income with some with some peace of mind. There's no investment with no with no risk. It's actually against the law to guarantee. <laughs> well,
2: that, that is right. That that is right. But uh, it sounds like the um, you know the way you're setting things up. I mean, it's definitely an interesting strategy. And how did you you know as you're looking at you know you're whether you're, you're buying houses, you're looking at storage uh, to evaluate. I mean, how how are you evaluating? Right. The, the the markets that you're in what are things that you're looking for when when you're looking to to make an investment i mean are there certain key indicators that you're tracking and can you share a little bit of that info with us
1: you know i'm just i'm really looking for a discounted price on the way in first because you know the old saying is you make your money when you buy right but this is the second quote that that i'm known for is You make your money when you buy, but you lose it in the rehab. So, you know, if you're an investor. You know what I mean? It was a great deal on paper, and I, you know, and I bought it. I bought it tremendously well. I mean, I, 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 I was a grand prize winner when I bought it. I bought it at a steep discount. It just got messed up in the rehab. The rehab got out of control. Something happened. Um, you know. So I'm always looking, but there are some things. Once you get mass. Like once you have 12 or 15 storage facilities, you know, if there's one that comes up for sale right next to you, you can pay more and not have to have such great spreads and get closer to market if even pay market <clears throat> because you're eliminating some competition and you have the business to overflow to it. Or you know what I mean? There's, 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 um, there's synergy in mass. And this is one of the things I like to say, if you're going to do something, do a lot of it. Don't do a little of this. I used to do that. I had some commercial buildings. I had some storages. I had some, no, it's two things, man. I flip houses and manipulate houses and seller financing, and I put it into storages. That's the two things, okay? I have these other businesses, but I got partners and they run those and they just you know send me a, a spreadsheet or a financial statement every month. And we have a meeting when we need to. Those people aren't my partners because I didn't know them and love them and like them. You know, I like all my partners are my friends and I trust them with everything I got Um, and vice versa. Um, I don't, I don't pick partners lightly. You know, I'm a very good partner picker. I've had many, many partners. Most of them go over 10 years. Some of them are going on 15 years, 20 years. Um, I'm a good partner and, and I'm a good partner picker, but
2: so how so so tell me more about that because I, I think that's something that that i see in the industry a lot i see a lot of partnerships pop up you know I, I see partnerships that well they just pop up overnight it's like you know people meet and all of a sudden there's five six people partnered together i've always been a, more of the opinion that, that a partnership is, is like a marriage it's got to be something that you come to to slowly and you gotta date a little bit first but
1: i uh, see people who do this you know they walk up to some stranger and said you own this piece of land why don't you put the piece of land up and i'll do the development side and we'll split 50 50 i don't that scares the living hell out of me because there's a lot of weird people out there and they don't think like you think you know i'm not maybe maybe they're not right maybe they're not wrong maybe i'm not right maybe i'm not wrong we just don't understand each other you know what i mean and so i i see people do that all the time but they are usually they would have to be and if they're not then they have this real danger but they have to they would have to be very tightly drawn uh, legal docs and, and, and very tightly covered and, and extraordinarily well covered so that any debate there was among two was solved by the, by the piece of paper that was written that everybody signed that went into the deal. And then there would be a lawsuit that couldn't be won if someone didn't, didn't, didn't apply, you know, didn't comply. But it's too much drain brandage for me you know it usually starts grassroots you know if you want to if you want to find a contractor that's going to be your contractor for the rest of your life you go out and you hire six or seven contractors you give a job to this you know a job to this guy job to this guy job to this guy job to this guy but here's what i say don't even give them the whole job tell them to write the job up And then say, what's the first step in this job? Well, I got to do the foundation. Okay, I'm going to let you the foundation part. I'm not giving you the rest of the house. We're only contracting for the foundation. However they perform on that foundation is how the whole house was going to go. If it took them two months to get the foundation done, which is way too damn long, then the whole house would have been months and months and months and months out. Fire the guy, get another person and give them the next job, which was to fix the roof. You know, if he fixes the roof, like, wow, that guy fixed. He told me yesterday he'd be on the job. He was on the job today. He finished the job in two days. He charged a fair price. Okay, let's give this guy another piece of the job. So that we do that on a couple of houses till we know him. Then we give him one house. Then after he's done six or seven or eight or nine, 10 houses, and he's still holding true to how I know he is or how I think he is. Now I'm giving him three or four houses. And then he finally becomes my whole guy you know, but I never go partner or give the job, the title and told job to anybody until I learn who they are and how they are under pressure when things don't go well on one particular facet of a tiny job. And I think why I'm a good, that works out because when we align with someone, business gets real easy. You can almost answer each other's sentences. Hey, I had to make a judgment call. Uh, Tell me what you would have done. I had choice A or B and I would have done this. I said, I would have done B. He says, okay, that's what I did. I just wanted to make sure, you know, and I need decision makers. I don't need them to call me on every damn thing. That's why I have them. You know, if they start to call me too much, I say, look, you make the decision. We'll talk about whether I agree later. I need to get you used to making decisions on your own without having to call me all the time. Do what you would do if it was your house. You know, it it is your business. You own 50% of it. You know, unless it's just some extraordinary amount of money, make a decision. Then let's talk about it. If it wasn't the right decision, we won't do it again the same way next time. But I can't, I can't, I can't be answering the phone that much. You know? Yeah.
2: So it sounds like partner partnering your strategy. You know, enter it, enter it slowly, like you said, starts grassroots. Partner in small ways, right? Don't don't give the whole project at first. You know, test it out, make sure it's going to work, understand how they're going to perform, how they perform on the small thing. It, Kind of extrapolate that largely how they're going to perform in bigger areas and then over time you found you find those people that that you really sync up with right and then and you can same thing into with my a private money company.
1: business my private money business one of the problems i had before covid was i had so much money i couldn't get it all out so i started a hard money loan business to keep these people's money occupied and to keep them getting a rate of return until i needed it you know i was i was giving the money to flippers this is another one of the, you know, side businesses I have. And, and a guy who was 15 years with Coopers and Lybrand and ran the Austin office for 15 years with his name on the door, he was a managing partner, he was my partner in this loan business, okay? You know, he was way smarter than me. The thing was, I knew how to connect with the, the industry and get the loans that he needed, which we, we like to loan 50% LTV only or 55. And I knew how to find those people. And, and so I'm loaning out that money, but those people were flipping houses. That money's out for six months and then back in. And then if I needed it, I took it. You know, I just needed to occupy it because if I don't occupy it, those private lenders were going to move on and I was going to lose my opportunity to work with them. Because my rule is I have underwriting that I buy houses by. And just because I have a shit pot full of money doesn't mean I start buying crappy deals. The rules, the, the, the underwriting guidelines that I function under and buy houses under, they never change. It doesn't matter how much money I have. So if I can only buy 83 houses in COVID, then I only buy 83. You know, uh, and if there's money sitting on the sidelines, there is. So um, that's another example. Uh, and we only went one or two loans at a time. We set up the office, people would pay us back. In the first two years, we didn't do a whole lot of business. We were feeling each other out.
2: Yeah, then so you build it up slowly over time and then you yeah. can get to get to a mass and an operating model that where you can really scale. Same it, thing right? with
1: the people that we lent the money to. We only, you know, hey, I wanna borrow money. They all wanna borrow money on seven houses. No, here's on one, let's see how you do. Okay, here's on a second one, let's see how you do. Okay, I'm gonna give you two houses at a time now. Now we've done four houses. Now I'm gonna give you three houses at a time. Okay, how many houses you wanna do? Cause I know you now.
2: Mm-hmm. You wanna do
1: 10 houses, I will give you money for 10 houses.
2: Well, I think that's great advice on, on how to partner, how to approach it slowly, how to build it up over time and, and how to find folks that you can really just continue to scale through your own partnership, right? through By creating these partnerships, you've been able to create a ton of scale in doing that. I think that's a really interesting model. Appreciate that, so that advice. As we round down the show here, I like to ask everybody a few questions at the end. It's called our keys to success round. So the first question I want to ask you is maybe you're thinking about this from, you know, as one of your private lenders. But the question is, you know, if someone's going to to invest money with with you or with anyone else, what is the one question that they should be asking the the person that's sponsoring their their deals or, or their investment?
1: um i I always prefer i have a long list of people that have loaned me money for 10 years 15 years 20 years they're still loaning me money some of them some of them have been loaning me their money for 30 years you know i i take a random swath of those people with a little paragraph about how i met them and how long they've been with me you know and their phone number and their email i want you to follow up on my references because i don't want you laying awake at night having any anxiety over this because no matter what rate of return you're making, if it's if you're anxious at night wondering what Mitch Stevens' real motive is, then it ain't worth this investment isn't worth it because there's no investment worth that kind of worry. And you don't have to have that kind of worry. So please call my my references, all of all the ones I give you. And if you want more, I'll give you more, but I want you to call my references.
2: So check check the references is, is a great thing way to start with somebody who you're going to invest with. I think that, that's great advice. Second question is, what are you most proud of in your career?
1: That I did it all And was able to get rid of alcohol and cigarettes, and there was no drugs. and and I handled all the pressures of of being an entrepreneur and, and let it drive me closer to God and further away from my vices instead of because a lot of times these triple A personalities that we have to get here. We'll get everything that we dreamed or exceed our goals, but we'll end up alcoholics or drug abusers, or, or 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 greed has taken us over, or there's a lot of pitfalls to being to being wealthy and being successful. A lot of pitfalls, and, and, and I'm probably the proudest that I I, I have been able to eliminate um, advices along the way, and 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 that it in. All of, at the end of the day it's not all about the money I mean now at this career I'm happy to do things at a higher uh, for a higher reason I'm 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 helping with my success I'm able to help a lot of other people accomplish a lot of things that they might not have ever been able to do I'm changing people's lives in a lot of ways all around me from my customer who who was a renter who would never be a buyer to my daughter who and my family members who maybe never would have found a niche but they have a niche now to um, Uh, investors across the country who I have helped break through the bondage of having a job and the reason why that's important to to become financially free at even the most modest level is because say like your job pays you $3,500 a month well if you can get $3,500 a month coming in passive income into your mailbox you can quit your job and that frees up 2,600 hours a year So, you can really learn who you are, become who you're supposed to be, and become good at what you're supposed to be good at in this life. And maybe you'll go out and help another thousand or five thousand or ten thousand people. So, my goodness kind of has a ripple of, you know, my good intentions have a ripple effect way beyond what I could probably even measure.
2: Yeah. No, that's fantastic. And what books should everybody
1: read? There's a lot of them. It depends on the phase of uh, where you're at, right? Of course, the number one bestseller of all times, the, the Bible, and it really it really gives us a map, you know, of what what what, what we should be doing. All the all the self help books in the world are just recanning the Ten Commandments and what what that says. Um, I'm not really a preacher, but when people ask me about what's the best book in the world, that's the number one. After that, you know, I read Thinking, Grew Rich, which let me know. You know, I didn't have a college degree. It let me know that some of the wealthiest people in the world didn't even get out of high school. They didn't have a choice but to figure out how to make money. And then when they figured out how to make more money, they were the 100% recipient of the increase. So, uh, Nothing Down by Robert Allen How to Function in the World When You Don't Have Any Money. When you don't have any money, you're a professional deal finder and you get paid or can become a partner because you found the deal and it's your deal and you say how the deal is going to go. You want 50% of that deal? then. Say I want 50%, someone else has to have to bring the money, and we split. You want 60% or you want 40%, whatever you want, but you're in control. But when you have no money, you can make yourself extremely wealthy by just being a professional deal finder contract writer upper. Was that a word? Contract writer. (laughs) Gotcha. You know what I mean?
2: I do. And lastly, what is your number one key to success?
1: work ethic and and integrity. I mean, I I don't know which one comes first. I guess I suppose integrity has to come first because without integrity, n- nothing works. Nothing works. Nothing works. You know, it, you have to I don't know how. I'm not te- I don't like to tell people how they have to live, but this is how I have to live. I look in the mirror and this is how I have to live. You know, I don't mind losing my money. I'm going to be dead before I lose yours. I'm going to be dead you know, or, or or you may see me dying and you may let me off the hook and say, okay, we'll make it up another way. Or something, but I'm going to be dead. I, yeah. I, I'm going to be dead. I mean,
2: integrity is where it all starts, right? And then the work ethic to back it up. And you've obviously shown that through, through all that you've done in the past 27 years.
1: I spent 27 years. I mean, I spent the first years trying to build a reputation. I was going to die before I didn't get it. Now that I got the reputation, I'm going to die before I lose it because it's too hard to earn. You know, and I, and, you know, symbolically, I died a lot of times along the way. I mean, I really had some problems and, and I really, you know, one of the, one of the reasons it took me 15 years to find my place was I would start businesses and I'd have to borrow some money or I'd owe people money. And when they failed, I wouldn't start the next business until I worked my bartending job till I paid these people back,
2: mm-hmm. you know,
1: and it took two or three years sometimes to get that done.
2: hmm
1: and, and so, you know, some, a lot of people say, okay, and they start the next business. I mean, I might've been able to be successful seven years earlier if I wouldn't have spent all these years paying people back, but I don't like the idea of not paying people back.
2: Well, I, I think there's a, a lot of integrity in that, right? Like we said, well, Mitch, we're wrapping things up here, but thank you so much for, for being on the show today. Thank you for sharing so much value and and just a really interesting perspective on how to build wealth as an entrepreneur and, and how to turn your your active job in, into passive forever strategy, right? So thanks for coming on and, and sharing with us today.
1: Can I share about my book and my website or is that something you don't want to do here?
2: No, absolutely. Yeah, please go ahead and tell folks how they can get a hold of you.
1: Okay, so I'm the author of three books, My Life in a Thousand Houses, Failing Forward to Financial Freedom, My Life in a Thousand Houses, 200 plus ways to find bargain properties. And last but not least, the book I really wanted to write, uh, My Life in a Thousand Houses, The Art of Owner Financing, about how I finance hundreds and hundreds of houses on 30-year mortgages to people. You can read all about it, see my podcast, see my 10-minute YouTube segments I put out every weekday at 1000houses.com. You can go to 1000houses.com, 1000houses.com, and go there and get so sick of me it won't be funny because it's all about me and everything I've got done and anything that I've ever touched. So you want to get real tired of Mitch Stephen, go to that website and see what there is. There's a ton of free stuff there too. I have been chastised beyond chastised because everyone says I give everything away. And I say- If someone needs a coach, they know how to find me. If they can do it on their own, God bless them. Most Mm -hmm. people figure out that, you know, you're going to pay the street or you're going to pay a coach and the street can be a lot more expensive. So the ones I want to work with, figure that out on their own.
2: Right on. Well, thanks so much, Mitch. And we'll make sure all that's listed in the show notes so people can find you. Thanks again for coming on today. Thanks for listening to another great episode of Ritter on Real Estate. Hit the subscribe button to make sure you don't miss out on the content that will make you a better investor. Also, visit KentRitter.com for articles, videos, and tools curated just for passive investors. Until next time, this is Kent Ritter with Ritter on Real Estate. Now go out and invest like a pro.